yourselves to another bonus episode. Yeah, we decided to put this one out as a bonus, um, mainly because a lot of our audience aren't UK based. And so if you're not, you might not give a shit about Brexit. Um, but for those of you that are UK based, we think you'll find this really interesting. Yeah, and I think for everyone from elsewhere in the world as well, who's wondered what the fuck Brexit is, this episode kind of explains that pretty well. Yeah, because there's not really been very much information put out there of what we were actually voting for. Yeah. I think that's the, the problem and... Um, the, the media's had an absolute circus with it and really there's there's not ever been, even uh, we talk about it in the episode, but the, the BBC put up the incorrect uh, definition of what the single market is uh, and this is things that if, affect the whole country and where most of us get our information from yeah. the news, um, that's, that's a problem. So we find this episode super interesting. Femi is such an interesting guy and I think even if you're not interested in Brexit, you'll still get a lot from it. Yes, and excuse our lack of any political knowledge. Femi Olawale is a political activist and he's the founder of Our Future, Our Choice, which is a pro-European advocacy group. Femi left his dream job uh, to start campaigning about Brexit to try and inform people better on what was being said and what was going on. Um, because currently we're hurtling towards a Brexit that neither the Leave side or the Remain side voted for. He's built a large audience on social media very quickly. So if people are like, how do I build an audience on social media? Talk about things that people care about, yeah. that people are passionate about. Have a strong message. Yeah. Um, Femi's built a really large audience doing just that. He's had public debates with people like Nigel Farage, Katie Hopkins and Piers Morgan. You can imagine how hard they must have been. Yeah. And and I mean, those people have got like, they're trained to do this. Yeah. And like, like Femi's like a young guy, um, really brave of him to yeah take on these, these names. Currently, we're dealing with a really, really divided country. And I think um, we need more people like Femi that, that just sort of do that job of, of um, educating and trying to unite people as well. I think like one of his main aims is to just have a united country again, which would be lovely. Yeah. Despite what you'll read about him, like if there's ever any comments or anything, it's always people trying to tear him down. There's a lot of racism thrown his way, which is just, it's, it's really frustrating because as from everything that I can see, the guy is trying to do something good. Yeah. So that's how we feel about it. But um, make your own mind up, of course. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Femi. Hey. Well, Thank you for doing our podcast. Pleasure to be here. What do you say to people that say, I don't care about politics? Well, sometimes I go to schools and I ask um, kids, 17, 16 year olds, like, do you care about politics? And like very few hands will go up. And so the next question I ask is, well, do you care about how much stuff costs in the shops? Do you care about how much, whether or not you can get a job when you leave school? All the hands go up. I say, that is politics. What's happening with Brexit has made the pound fall in value, which means stuff is more expensive in the shops. What's happening with Brexit makes the UK a less attractive place to create jobs, which means you're going to have fewer jobs to look for when you leave school. That is politics. So it's about making it relevant to people's daily lives. Yeah. And I think that there's not been enough kind of flow of information. So when it comes to Brexit, I, my, my heart and my gut, and we, we had conversations yeah. about it at the time, um, we felt like Remain, it felt like the right thing. Um, and people that we trusted and looked up to mm. were, were kind of saying Remain. However... When I then listened to the arguments for leave, they were quite persuasive and there was no facts. It was all just opinion. And so I voted Remain, but I didn't really know what I was voting on. Yeah, I think like for me, it was definitely, I voted more on like an ethical kind of reasoning of like mm. what I 
how I felt and how like how it would affect people who live around me. I mean, we we and, live yeah. in East London, which is a, a hugely multicultural society, and my my neighbours and everyone like on a daily basis. So I'm not. I'm not scared of people of colour. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that the idea of voting to remove the right of residence of your neighbours, your friends, is just something you'd instinctively try to avoid. So why did you get started? So I, I kind of got pulled off the bench because I wasn't massively into politics before. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you've studied EU law and you're watching David Cameron utterly fail to explain the absolute basics, you kind of have to get involved. Now, you said before how... Um, you weren't necessarily sure of all the facts when you voted. It was more just uh, on balance. You felt it was one best way best to go with Remain. I can tell you right now that if I hadn't studied EU law, could not tell you which way to vote it. I could, if I'd have studied, um, even if I studied politics, I might have voted Leave. But I mean, if I'd seen that bus, that ad, that advert that said that there's 350 million pounds a week that goes to the EU, yeah. that can go to the NHS instead, I'd be thinking, well, okay, I agree that we spend money on the EU. Theoretically, if we're no longer spending that money on the EU, it can come here. I care about the NHS. I'd vote leave. But you have to know stuff which just wasn't in the public conversation in order to realise the problem with that. For example, well, the EU has 40 agencies which do governmental stuff, like checking chemicals to make sure they're okay to go in your food, checking medicines to make sure they're okay to use. Now, the costs for those agencies are split among 28 countries. If we have to do that by ourselves, the cost goes on the UK taxpayer alone. So yes, we spend money on the EU, but what we get back is a hell of a lot more. It's like sharing the bill among 28 countries rather than doing it for yourself. It's like, actually, a bus is a good example. It's like taking the bus rather than taking a taxi. You yeah, are yeah. saving money. Yeah. Um, and so if you're watching David Cameron like not explain the basics, he was using stuff about scare stories about how there'd be immediate recession, we'd all lose our jobs, massive damage to the economy without explaining why. If, if we leave. If we leave, yeah. yeah. And he's saying about the single market and how we need it and how, how it would destroy the economy if we left it, but not explaining what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the conversation is so bad that in October last year, so about a year ago, I had to go on a Twitter rant against the BBC because their definition of the single market was wrong. And they changed it two days later because I told them to. They'd had it up since March. It was only because I told them in October that it actually got changed. Now, let's put it put it simple, because this stuff can be explained really simply. They just failed to. Like, imagine if you imagine if the EU didn't exist and you wanted to sell to 28 different countries that made their own laws for what you could call, let's say, beer. One country says it has to have X amount of alcohol Mm -hmm. or this amount of barley or whatever. You'd have to manufacture, market and package your product in 28 different ways. So the idea of the EU is, well, let's make laws together. Let's have one set of rules that everyone follows. And that way you can make one version of your your product, sell it across the EU, your prices fall, therefore supermarket prices fall, and everybody has a better standard of life. Now, I've just explained the single market in 30 seconds. David Cameron had five months. (laughs) So if you're asking me why I felt I had to get involved, there's your answer. There's there's something in this country, and it's it's probably all over the world, but the apathy and almost the the expectation that someone else will sort it out Mm. is kind of prevalent. Does it blow your mind that you're... The guy who's kind of like <laughs> yeah. kind of like trying to sort it out because yeah. our prime minister at the time didn't explain the single market to the to the extent that the BBC are putting up an incorrect definition yeah. that it takes you a guy like an under, a guy under thirty yeah. 
to come along and actually go, well, guys, this is what's happening. So yeah, I was 25 at the time. My general attitude to politics was, surely the adult, adults know what they're doing. Um, and that is the scary thing about it. The realization that there's nobody at the wheel, mm-hmm. that the people running the show just don't know what they're talking about. I mean, let's look at it this way. We currently have a prime minister who's talking about leaving the EU without a deal when his entire civil service is pumping out reports which show that that would completely destroy the country, like serious losses of jobs, chaos on the roads, lack of, lack of medicines, food shortages, and he thinks he knows best. He has an army of civil servants who are all professionals in international trade. What did Boris Johnson study? Greek fucking poetry. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> the idea that he knows best, it, it, is, it is utter madness and you hear scare stories about what would happen if there's a no deal and there's economic impact assessments etc and i just try and make it really simple there isn't a country in the world a wto country well a country in the world trade organization that has no trade deals with anyone within two thousand miles which means that given that a no deal brexit does that to us we'd be doing something that every single successful economy on planet earth has chosen specifically not to do Now, even Donald Trump, when he started his trade war with the rest of the world, he left Canada and Mexico out of it because not even he was crazy enough to damage trade with his closest neighbors. And yet that's what we're heading to do because of a prime minister who's reassured by his massive economic background in Greek philosophy. Are 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 we joking right now? So this idea that the people running the show just don't know what they're doing and are in it for themselves. I mean, Boris Johnson... In 2013, he said, um, I, I, I vote to stay in the single market. I, I'm, I'm in favor of the single market. I think, I think we should trade free with our European friends and partners. This is somebody who knows that Brexit hurts the country. He's chosen to pursue it just because it'll get him into number 10. And it worked. That's the crazy thing about it. He did something that he was on record as saying would hurt us. And it got him into the most powerful position in the country. So yeah, I'm doing this because I'm terrified that nobody is taking control of the situation. Where do you think this kind of in you came from, like growing up, like that gave you that fight to fight for other people and that kind of passion? Superhero shows, primarily Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Amazing. which is the greatest show of all time. Let's be really clear. It's the, <laughs> I'm not, even, I'm not going to accept The Wire, Friends, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the greatest show of all time. <laughs> so yeah, that sort of stuff. Amazing. <laughs> Um, what are your kind of goals? Like what, what is the outcome that you, that you want from this? From this, the outcome is, well, stopping Brexit is the necessary intermediate outcome. What I really want is for the UK to come together in some way. Now, the way I see it, if we go with a note, there are three ways this can go. We either leave without a deal, we live with the deal, or we stay in the EU. Um, If we leave without a deal, like I just said, that's doing something that every successful economy has chosen not to do, that'll make us poorer which means you'll have those working class areas, many of whom voted to leave, mm. even worse off, blaming Remainers for ruining Brexit and the Remainers will blame um, Leavers for ruining the country, the divides in the country, the blame game that will last a generation, those divides will never heal. So that doesn't work. Because because the Brexit won't be what the, um, what the Leavers voted for in the first place. So they will then blame that on the Remainers yeah. and the Remainers will blame the leavers because they voted for the thing in the first place yes right um because in 2016 
the entire Leave argument was anybody suggesting that Brexit would harm EU-UK trade was project fear. They were scaremongering, of course we'll get a great deal, of course because we'll hold all the cards, we're the fifth biggest economy in the world, the EU will do anything we want, we'll get a great trade deal, and now we're staring no deal down the, down the face. Which, which in 2016 kind of sounded fair. Like, I mean, yeah, we've, we've got quite a few cards here. Mm. We, we are the UK, we're powerful, have been for a long time, yeah. and... But it just hasn't shaken out that way. And Europe are just like, uh, all right, see you later then. Well, they're basically saying, all right, here's the deal. Because we've negotiated a deal. Mm -hmm. But the deal that we've negotiated is one that most Brexit voters don't like. And so given that they don't like that deal, we're now talking about no deal. But there is a deal on the table which the EU's offered us. In fact, they'd offered us several deals, but none of them please Brexit voters. Now... Get under those circumstances, the question is, what do you do? Um, we've got no deal, as I said. That would just increase the divides because the poor would be made even poorer. The not support again, made even poorer, and they'd all blame each other. And Or you can have leaving with the deal. Now, the whole idea behind Brexit was take back control. Mm -hmm. The idea that we should be making our own laws by ourselves, Britain standing on its own, sovereignty, etc., now, as I mentioned before, the fact that we make laws together with the EU has an economic benefit because it means you don't have to make 28 different versions of the same product if you want to sell stuff. Now, the deal we've just negotiated means in order to get that benefit, we have to follow the rules of the EU, because, but because we're no longer members of the EU, we have no say over those rules. So we end up having less control when Brexit voters wanted more control, which is the problem. So that's why Brexit voters don't like it. And again, if we leave with that Brexit, Brexit voters will say, Remainers ruin Brexit. Remainers will say, Leavers ruin the country. And again, we never heal. Mm. Now, third option is we stay. I think the only democratic way you can do that is via a new referendum. So that's what we're pushing for. That's what our future, our choice, youth movement campaigning for a referendum on the Brexit deal. Um, because young people voted overwhelmingly against Brexit. Um, now, stopping Brexit isn't the final solution. Um, it is the intermediary step towards fixing things. Because if you look at where people voted for Brexit in this country, they are the areas that are the most deprived, with the least social mobility, the, least, the, most, the most poverty. Now, unless we fix that, we don't heal. Because I, I say point blank, if you want to stop Brexit so we can just return to status quo, you don't deserve to stop Brexit. Because it means you've heard a cry from largely working class people saying that this system isn't working for us and you don't really care. So the answer to this is, I mean, I, I've actually released a video recently saying, imagine if you lived in Sunderland your entire life. When you were a kid, your dad lost his job because Margaret Thatcher closed the shipyards. You um, watched London have more investment every single year. Millennium Dome, London Eye, the Shard, all these buildings going up, transport infrastructure. I mean, when's the last time you saw an underground tube system in Hull? <laughs> so if you've watched a system that is deeply unfair, no investment in your area, and the one time people are, told, people are saying that things might really change is Brexit, and the person telling you to vote Remain is David fucking Cameron, under those circumstances, I would vote Leave. But how do you fix that? you start investing in those areas. Right now, the government spends way more per capita per head in London than it does in the North. Mm -hmm, yeah. Fix that, you fix the country. So in 2016, that's when everything started kicking off. Is that when you got on Twitter? Um, so my Twitter account, it's been active since 2011, but I didn't really use it until end of 2015, start of 2016, because I was on Facebook before, but I was already really active on Facebook, um, just amongst my friends. 
and it kind of was my entire life. And so I thought if I take on Twitter, my life would just collapse. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> um, that's what happened. Uh, so yeah, but I realized that because everybody I was friends with on Facebook either already agreed with me or was never going to agree with me. I was already in an echo chamber. There's no, I wasn't really reaching anybody. So I felt, all right, if I'm going to actually start making a difference, I have to jump to the next thing, which is Twitter, my public audience. Uh, and then once that, and then so in 2016, around February, I started making videos on Twitter, pictures, graphics, making new arguments, engaging in the conversation. And then come June, I started, uh, well, I went to Primark, got a t-shirt, wrote EU questions, just ask and felt it pen, plot myself in the center of Birmingham city center and just waited there for a couple of days for people to come talk to me. So I think that was how I first um, found your content was, mm. uh, was those videos. I think that they're really great. And so you're just normal people asking you questions yeah. about EU and you're kind of setting the record straight. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, we have to get away from this idea, which is really, really harmful that Remainers are all experts in EU law and Leavers are thick and uneducated. It's just utterly wrong. If you are a rocket scientist, there's no reason why you're more, le more or less likely to understand the single market. Yeah. I mean, my parents are both doctors. I had to explain that to them. Um, so it's about, I mean, I spend most of my time explaining this stuff to Remainers. Um, so yeah, just asking questions, finding out what people want from Brexit what, what, what people, and whether or not that matches up with what they're getting. Because if you vote for Brexit expecting to have this amazing trade deal with the EU, well, look at what we've got. If you voted Brexit expecting we'd have some amazing trade deal with America, well, Donald Trump has said that any trade deal he does with the UK is going to involve making the NHS pay more for drugs so that American companies pay less. So that is, our, that is the outlook with Brexit. It's either going to be a deal that we hate with the EU or a deal that compromises the NHS with Trump. That's Brexit. Terrifying. <laughs> And so with your, with your Twitter account, did you have um, a strategy? Because obviously in order for you to make an impact, you would have to grow an audience. Yeah. Did you go around that in a, a methodical way? So um, in 2016, February, I had 20 followers on Twitter. Um, so yeah, it was a bit difficult at the start. Mm -hmm. um, it was largely about A, following hashtags. Um, so keeping a close eye on hashtags on a constant basis to see what's trending and, and how I can gain a larger audience. B, trying to engage in the other side um, to avoid that echo chamber thing where you, you create that own environment for yourself on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and sit, and not just tweeting along hashtags that are pro-EU, tweeting on hashtags that are pro-Brexit so that you can really engage with the other side. Um, and... Yeah, just making explaining things in ways that are um, accessible because too many people, especially in the news these days, they will use terms like single market, customs union, backstop, and they won't say what they actually mean. Um, so I never use those phrases without backing them up and so people know what I'm talking about. Because I think one of the reasons why people turn off from Brexit is because they keep hearing these terms, nobody ever explains them, and it just kept keep getting back, to, back and forth, and it just it's not a productive conversation. What did your life look at this, like at this point in terms of like how much, what are you doing for work? How much time are you spending on social media doing these things? So in 2016, uh, when I started, I was working uh, for doing an internship at a, a human rights agency, human rights charity in, um, in Brussels. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so I actually, actually took advantage of the fact that I had to pass the European Parliament to film my first Brexit video. Yeah. Um, and then I came back to the UK in, in end of March. 
continued to campaign, got myself a job delivering pizzas at Domino's so I could campaign whilst living at my parents' house. And, and yeah. Um, and then after that, I took another internship in Brussels uh, on democracy and uh, d- democracy and general transparency in the EU institutions. And then I got my dream job at the EU Fundamental Rights Agency. So that was basically the human rights branch of the EU. Mm-hmm. So given that my academic background is EU law, my passion is human rights, my main skill is advocacy, arguing, arguing, being the advocacy intern for the EU Fundamental Rights Agency was my dream job. And it was supposed to be 12 months, but at, after 10 months, I cut it short to come back to the UK and do this full time so I could deal with Brexit because I figured that was the priority. Because mm-hmm. um, if I'm, I always had this idea that if I'm working for EU, EU, EU human rights at the EU level, then I'm also protecting the UK. But if we pull out, we've got a, a government that's actively hostile to human rights, then I, I'm not doing the complete job. So I felt I had to come and deal with Brexit first. And what does a day look like for you since coming back? Uh, yeah, to, uh, it is basically a matter of, well, what, well, I lived in London for nine months out of last year. Yeah. So that was primarily wake up, uh, tweet for a bit, edit videos, film videos, uh, cycle into Westminster where, where the office is, um, occasionally go on media, Sky News, BBC News, etc. Uh, and then come home and tweet until 2am, sleep, rinse, repeat. Um, no social life really for the past two years. Um, it has just been this. Everyone in my life knows that they come second to Brexit. Um, so there's going to have to be a, a massive detox when this is done. Because, um, yeah, I just, it, there really isn't anything else other than this for me. In terms of your just kind of like mental health in that situation, and if you're throwing yourself into something so much, do you take time off? Do you kind of make sure that you kind of take time to relax? Or do you just, you're just like, this is so fucking important that I've just got to do it? So yeah, there, there is the constant feeling that if I'm not working, given that there is that vacuum of, well, if I'm not doing it, who else is going to do it? Because I mean, I, I know that I know this, I know that there's, it's the, it's the Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. If I'm aware that if I hadn't done things like challenging the BBC on this definition of the single market, making Nigel Farage admit that there are restrictions on immigration available under EU law, which goes against everything he said in 2016. Mm -hmm. If I'm aware that if if I haven't done these things, they simply wouldn't have been done. I know that if I'm not working, nobody else is doing it. And so that is in an immense amount of pressure. Um, So that, that feeling that I need to be working constantly is, is very much there at the same time. October, November last year was when my mental health started to take a bit of a nosedive. I, w- I could feel myself becoming a little unhinged and I had to move out of London. I'm from Birmingham. Well, I grew up mainly in Birmingham. Uh, so I, I moved back into my best mate's house and just for my own mental well-being, just to make sure I could still be productive and useful. And even that was difficult because I'd gotten so used to not having any proper social interaction yeah. that living with my best friend was difficult at start at the start because I knew that I wasn't being there for him entirely. Even though he would put me up in his house, I knew that I was always ha- somewhere else. When he, ch- when he tried to talk to me, I, I, w- I would be tweeting or, or working on a video because it has to go out. Question time's on. I've got to be, I've got to be monitoring it. I've got to get something out quickly. And I, and it's, <laughs> I did have the impulse to, to move out because I felt so guilty, but he like insisted, no, let me stay. And at the end of that, at the end of a certain period, I we sort of found a balance where I, I understand that he understands that I'm like that. And at the same time, uh, 
because I'm with them, I feel more inclined to take that that time out. And so often, especially with 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 coming to London so regularly, if you're going to get an off-peak train back, you've got to go after seven, which means I'm not getting back to the house until like 10, um, usually 11, uh, which means I, and given that I would go insane if I didn't do something. And uh, so we're talking TV shows, FIFA, um, then I'm usually not asleep until 2.30 most days uh, on top of tweeting. So yeah, that this is my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> we interview creatives on here and illustrators, designers, dancers whoever and they find joy in their work do you find joy in what you're doing yeah i do um i mean yeah there's it's obviously not all peaches and cream but at the same time i enjoy there are people in this country that are making a decision that they know hurts the country um and i enjoy taking them down uh, i get i get pleasure from dismantling their arguments publicly um so that's 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 where the joy comes from it um and i like knowing i mean if i look at it this way could i possibly be doing anything other than what i'm currently doing right now mm-hmm. could i mean i have a law, law degree could i be working in some law firm somewhere earning the big bucks um like my brother is um even though he's four years younger than me and yet he's the successful uh, well professionally successful one um i couldn't do it there is nothing else I could possibly be doing. I know that right now we have a crisis in the country that is based on a lack of understanding of EU law, an inability to see things from other people's perspective, and um, a lack of ability to communicate. And that is my entire background. EU law, advocacy, and, well, I'm the person in the family that always sorts out the arguments. So seeing this understanding how to fix a problem created by two people two sets of people that can't communicate with each other has been my bread and butter since i was six so in the superhero analogy mm-hmm. have you thought about creating like an avengers team <laughs> uh well i mean i well I, I'm, I'm constantly in my t-shirt um which people say is too tight so i'm already doing the whole superhero thing <laughs> um uh as for the, the team i mean our future choices is a team uh, and one would very much argue that they are the real heroes because we are a youth organization and we're mobilizing young people across the country. I couldn't mobilize shit. I have the organizational skills of a, gr- of a drunk blind squirrel. Yeah. Um, they are the ones that are day in, day out getting stuff done. So they are, um, I could not do this without them in terms of the actual, our future, our choice, youth movement. How did you assemble the Avengers? <laughs> like it. Um, that was a matter of um, end of 2017. Um, I created a separate Twitter account called Our Future, Our Choice, um, thinking, all right, there should be a, a distinct youth voice in this conversation. And then uh, somebody on Twitter pointed out to me that this other guy and this girl called Lara Spirit and Will Dry had created a, um, a network of students in 30 universities across the country called Our Future Stop Brexit. Now, uh, we then we then got in contact. Now, Our Future Stop Brexit or Our Future Our Choice. Um, OFOC is the slightly better acronym. <laughs> so I won on that respect. Um, uh, and then we sort of got together on January 2018 and then things sort of snowballed from there. So why is there such a divide between the old and the young, do you think? The divide between old and young comes largely from how we view the world. Like, 
there was a generation that has grown up with the idea that the rest of Europe is the enemy. Um, and they, they find the idea of being united with the rest of Europe uh, against what they were told to fear. Um, whereas for our generation, we are the generation that is more connected to the outside world than any generation before us. Mm-hmm. We tweet American presidents. We go, we work in hotels in France. We play FIFA with people in Japan. The idea of shutting up borders goes against everything we stand for. Mm-hmm. Right now, as members of the EU, as EU citizens, we have the right to live, work, and love in 31 countries across Europe. That's because we're EU citizens. Now, I've taken advantage of that. Erasmus, um, best year of my life, largely because Erasmus is um, language-based. I was living in France, and er- language-based courses tend to be about 75% female, making that the most romantically complicated year of my life. <laughs> um Fell in love with a French lesbian, got, treated, got cheated on by a German. Good year. Um, <laughs> uh, I did a ski season in France where I was doing everything from customer services to moving pool covers, cleaning toilets. Now, the Tories' plan for post-Brexit immigration says that if you want to come here, you need to be making at least £36,000. Now, if EU countries do that to Brits, suffice to say, when I was cleaning toilets, I was not making thirty-six k. Yeah. So you've basically created an elitist system that only works for the super rich mm-hmm. because most of us, our first job is not going to be making 36,000 pounds. And again, young people will be the ones who will be significantly more affected by this because we're the ones least likely to be able to meet that threshold. Whereas older people um, who are established in their jobs, they don't need a, a massive job market that spans a continent. We do. We want to be able to work anywhere we want because that's where the opportunities are. Um, and so that's why young people, more so than old generations, need and want that open Europe. I think as well, like for our audience and like especially the people we talk to a lot, the internet is such a like powerful device for being able to start a business, to start doing what you're passionate about. Yeah. It's like by it's successful because you can sell to the whole world. Mm. It's actually I can post a video now that will go to however many countries there are, and if you suddenly like close it off and mean that you can only work with people really close to you and it's suddenly like, well, we've gone back in time now. Yeah, exactly. Like we're, it's going against everything that we're trying to fight for, like not on the kind of politics side of it, but just the making people follow their passions and basically trying to convince people that you can do whatever you want to do, but that's based on a system that is inclusive of the whole world. Well, I mean, you, you'll, you'll hear the argument that um, we shouldn't just be focusing on Europe, we should be focusing on the whole world, and by leaving the EU, we, we open things out. Let me give you a concrete example. Uh, my course at law at, at university was Law with French. Now, that was three years studying law in, in, in the UK and one year studying law in France. Now, in France, tuition fees don't exist. You can go to university, get a degree for free. Just a couple, like 200 quid out of fee, and that's it. Mm. Now... That meant that travel was about 80 quid return, um, to, um, accommodation pretty cheap, and I got a year in France, the best year of my life. There were those at my university that did law with American law. For them, that required, in order to get the visa, you need to, be make, you need to have at least £16,000 in the bank, and you need to then pay for flights. So the idea that your average person in this country has the ability to do that has the ability to take advantage of movement to other EU con- other other countries outside of Europe, just wrong. The cheapest place for us to get to are the places that are being cut off from us right now. I can get to Brussels on 12 quid by bus. Mm-hmm. Not the same for Texas. And that will change with Brexit? 
Well, um, like I said, if the EU countries do to us what we plan on doing to them um, by making a, a £36,000 salary minimum if you want to go work there, then your average person is not going to be able to do that. So the creative industries in this country are the fastest growing part of the UK economy and uh, worth, uh, worth around £100 billion. Um, to this country every year but yet we are not focusing on creativity and arts in schools and all of the funding is being cut for all of those those types of things what i'm guessing that brexit is also going to affect the creative industries in terms of us sending our products so like films over to other countries well in terms of um the just the ease of sale there is that issue if you create trade barriers you create you add you add cost um, but I think in terms of the essence of creativity itself, uh, the ability to mix with other cultures is an essential part of being creative. And if you essentially start throwing up borders, yeah, that hurts creativity significantly. If you, if you don't get the rights to automatic rights to live in another EU country, again, you hurt creativity. You're absolutely right. To, to make a weird analogy, um, as a graffiti artist, when I first started um, painting, there was like a very dis- like distinctive London style mm. because we were all influenced by what we saw around us. And then someone would go on holiday to Paris and then all of a sudden start using pink in their things and everyone's like, whoa, what's happening? <laughs> because they've been influenced by the graffiti they'd seen in other countries. Exactly, exactly. And there, you, you close that off if you, if you close our borders. Mm. But it's almost that that is the uh, appealing thing to the older generation because there's this nostalgia for something which never existed of that the, the, um, the, the Leave campaign really sort of harped on. was, And it is the same in America that got Trump elected with the Make America Great Again. It was, um, you mentioned it earlier, it was like take, take back control. Take back control, yeah. take back control of that, the, oh yeah, we, now we're, it'll be like the old days mm. and we have control and we're, we're, we're this nice little island and we keep ourselves to ourselves. And the country was filled with racism and polio. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think on the topic of racism, I think like coming out of the back of it, I, remember I was watching a police program the other day and they were saying like kind of, like race-related crimes have increased by like 85% in just the area that they were based in just like since Brexit because it's now like, yeah, because I think what's basically happened is people who are racist have been basically like, they've they've got their beliefs, but society says you can't say that, so they don't. And now it's kind of like the whole Brexit thing's happened. It's like, oh, well, now I can say it because all these other people around my side as well yeah, yeah so it's just kind of like it's almost just taken this kind of curtain off that which is the one which one it was one of the good things about brexit one of the very few things about brexit is that it now people who had those beliefs are now in the open now it's the same thing with trump um since you can you now know where they are it's no longer subtle it's now in your face i'd never thought of it that way before yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 good, expose, it's good to, it's good to yeah. know where yeah. they are yeah also um, i think it's just good to know the truth as well because i think until brexit you probably didn't realise what a severe problem the country had, mm. but it's just unearthed it. And now we know we can try and fix it. True. And, and I often put it this way. There is an element of what it means to be British that has a duality to it. I mean, as in part of British humour is this idea of um, self-deprecating, but at the same time, we're this big cocky empire country. So like jokes about walking through airports, smacking people aside with your massive passport, that sort of stuff. Um, now, 
for most of us, that idea of we're, we tend to be this big empire, but at the same time, we know that that's not truly, we know we're good, we're just the same as everybody else. There's that duality now. In a certain way, I feel like I woke up on twenty on the 24th of June, 2016 to realize that, wait, hang on, we weren't all joking? Um, and that is an element of it, because if you believe, honestly, that the EU needs us more than we need them, which is the argument that was used, you're, you're saying you believe that 27 countries need one country more than the other way around. You're saying you believe that a market of, of that's five times the size of ours in terms of economy, with five times the population and consumers, needs us more than we need them. You must believe that British people are inherently better than all other people, arguably by a factor of 27. Um, and somehow that narrative worked, and it still exists today. Um, but on the racism point, we need to do better, especially on the left, in terms of how we discuss it. Because if you voted Brexit because you wanted more money for the NHS, because your area gets no investment from Westminster, because first past the post means your vote doesn't really count for anything, mm-hmm. you don't need a single racist bone in your body. No, all, va- all valid points. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, the problem we've got is the people who ran the campaign, Nigel Farage specifically, used racism. And the failure that has been done by the Remainers on the left is we've assumed that because racism was used to achieve the Brexit vote, those who voted for Brexit must be racist. Now, here's the problem. So with Nigel Farage specifically, um, often people call him racist and they can't really point to anything. And and you'll you'll say, well, what about that breaking point poster, the poster with all the Syrian refugees where you said, breaking point, we need to break free of the EU so we can control our borders. People on the Remain side will say that's racist. And then people on the Leave side will say, how can it be racist? It's just a photograph. The reason why it's racist is because the UK is not part of the EU's refugee policy. We opt out. We have to opt into that on a, on a case-by-case basis. So the people in that photograph had no right to enter the UK under EU law. Because guess what? Syria, not an EU country. In fact, we know this because of all the people who are stuck in Calais. Now, if you've chosen people who have nothing to do with Brexit to scare people about immigration, you must think that visually there's something about them specifically that scares them so that scares people so much that it's worth using people that doesn't even make sense to the argument. Now that is a fundamentally racist decision. Uh, the argument you'll then hear is, well, what if they come to an EU country, stay for a bit, and then they get EU passports? Hang on. If you want to get a German citizenship, you need to stay in Germany for at least seven or eight years. Now at then at that point you then need to pass the citizenship test, which means you need to be speaking German integrated into German society, at which point you become a fully-fledged German citizen. So if you're arguing that that person shouldn't come to the UK because of where he came from, again, racist. Now, the problem is, you've got the people who made those arguments in 2016, and you've got the Brexit voters. I think one of the, one of the key points to make is, Brexit voters and the Brexit politicians like Nigel Farage, they are the enemy of each other. Because if you voted Brexit because you want um, more money to the NHS, well, Nigel Farage says we should move to an insurance-based system of private health care. If you voted for Brexit because you want more money for your area, Nigel Farage says we should shrink the size of the state, which means less investment. If you're tired of being called racist for wanting more money for the NHS, because Nigel Farage is the face of Brexit, you're going to keep being called racist for wanting it. Nigel Farage is the enemy of most Brexit voters, yet somehow he's the chairman of the Brexit party. Well, the, the head of the Brexit party. It is ridiculous. But so we need to, when we have this conversation about racism, we need to avoid labeling Brexit voters as racist and point out where the racism lies. And it's not with Brexit voters on the main, 
it's with the people running, running the show. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen the the kind of fire light up in the levers who, when the racism thing does get thrown at them, and mm-hmm. they're they're right, really passionately like, I I am not racist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yet at the same time, I I see a lot of. Um, I mean, I did the thing that you should never do, which is I looked at YouTube comments, mm. um, <laughs> and and like the the subtle racism, like like t- directed towards you, mm. it was nothing that terms and services would pick up on yeah. but it was just there was things like um you went to an interview and your manager was there mm. and it, it was just things like oh it, with his handler needs to keep him under control or just these these so, yeah. subtle well, little and, and it's worse than that because you you didn't even pick up on it because that guy is a guy that worked for us he's a guy that we hired to basically give us advice on um on press he basically got us a whole bunch of interviews for the past uh, f- few months he was amazing at his job it's just he had a bit of a wobble that day um but the fact and they, they use things like um uh, femi's master blah blah blah, blah just just yeah, subtle yeah. things but on youtube it tends to be it, 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 i'm surprised you found the subtle stuff usually on youtube it's mo- a lot <laughs> a lot more <laughs> blatant i mean uh, I ha- I've had messages on Facebook telling me um, what size is your neck? I want to fit you for a slave collar. Oh. Um, uh, I've had somebody say, um, come to France, we'll deal with you like we dealt with Marie Antoinette. And in case that wasn't subtle enough, uh, when it wasn't obvious enough, he then included a picture of a guillotine. <laughs> um, uh, the abuse that I get is every minute or so, I get threats of violence every couple of days, maybe once every day, I'm not sure. Uh, ra- racial abuses every day or so. Um, uh, threats. Um, so in February last year, somebody posted my home address online. Uh, fortunately, I'd moved out of that address two months prior, so my mother is safe, which is nice to know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, in a post Joe Cox world, uh, not fun being me. How'd you deal with that? The knowledge that it doesn't really the the maths adds up that you've got the British Medical Association, sorry, you've got the British Medical Association, the Royal College of Nurses, the Royal College of Midwives, the Royal College of GPs, the Royal College of Radiologists, all saying that any version of Brexit hurts the NHS. But the British Medical Association, which, which represents hundreds of thousands of doctors across the UK, saying a no-deal Brexit currently being pursued by a Prime Minister would be a catastrophe for the NHS. So if, you use, if an organisation like that is using the term catastrophe, and we are talking about doctors, yeah. talking about the NHS here, then we're talking thousands of lives over the next 50 years. So it really doesn't matter what I have to put myself through in order to prevent that because the logic of it says that it will be worth it. It's simply a maths issue. Yeah. Um, Joe Cox, why, what happened with Joe Cox and um, why she was killed? Well, she was a passionate um, anti-Brexit campaigner at the time of the referendum. She was killed about a week before the referendum in 2016 by a white nationalist. Um so the uh, this conversation has been extremely divisive and had had consequences bloody consequences it's been yeah and for you to to know about this and to still go ahead on your journey i think is is remarkable um for you as a man and for um the beliefs that you have in this so strongly that um and it just i just don't understand that like i would never go after a someone that i didn't agree with 
with threats of violence. Mm. I just I don't understand the rationale. It almost appears to me when I do when I did read those YouTube comments, I found I found a lot of things like Ramona, mm. which is just a really easy way of going. Firstly, oh, I don't want to hear any more about this Brexit thing. Mm. Like, oh, you're a Ramona. You're just, oh, you want to remain and you're just moaning about it. Oh, shut up. Here we go again. Yep. Political correctness gone mad. Yep. And all, yep. of, all of these things is just an easy way to not have discourse and to not actually yep. hash out an argument. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this weird binary opposition whereby it, it, the, the simpler you keep the conversation, the more it leans towards Brexit. Because if you keep it to leave means leave, then we have to leave. But if you make it the moment it gets even slightly detailed, it, the it, the argument falls apart. Because and it's a hugely complex situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I tweeted today, like, is it are we, is anybody seriously suggesting that there are only two possible relationships that the UK could possibly have with the other 27 countries of the EU? No? then given that we had a binary question of leave or remain, how is that a logical or mature way of approaching this? Because as we've seen over the past three years, Brexit voters do not like the Brexit we've negotiated. And not all Brexit voters want a no-deal Brexit, which means there's no majority for any version of Brexit, which is what happens when you ask such a vague question. What should have happened was they should have said, all right, let's see, have a referendum on uh, our current relationship with the EU, which is in the treaties, versus a specific deal that we could negotiate and then we'll negotiate for that. Could have done it like that. Instead, they said yes or no to this relationship. Again, you've got to look at what that referendum was. Remain. What was Remain? A relationship between us and the rest of the EU defined by two international treaties, which is about 724 pages long. Um, there are decades, There's decades of legislation, laws that have been made over the past few years. Uh, you've got um, the European Union Act of 2011, which says that if he's going to, if you, any change to the treaties would need to have a referendum in the UK. So it was something that was detailed and fixed. At the time of negotiating, we will have tried to have negotiated in our best interests, surely. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. We did. Um, we, the EU offered several different um, uh, deals, uh, but the fact is, what exactly did Leave mean in 2016? Leave simply meant a different relationship with the EU, which can be anything from no deal to Theresa May's deal to a Norway style deal where we stay in the single market to a Canada style deal where we have just simple free trade. There are a thousand different relationships we could have had with the EU and none of them are supported by all Brexit voters. That's the point. And so given that there's no majority for any version of Brexit, and this is the point that I often, other people don't really seem to pay attention to. We've only had one opportunity as a country to say what sort of relationship would be acceptable. That was a 2017 general election. Because they all, all the parties presented their own vision of what they wanted Brexit to be. And 54% chose parties whose manifestos ruled out a no-deal Brexit. And that right now, I've got a prime minister who has said he is willing to break the law because Parliament's passed a law against no-deal in order to force through a no-deal, a no-deal which in 2016, during the referendum, he said would never happen. A prime minister willing to break the law to do something he said would, was impossible when he last told us to vote on this issue. It is a ridiculous his period of history that we're currently living through. Um, what what legacy do you want to leave behind once everything is said and done? Uh, I want to know that people talk logically with each other. That it, that the idea that feelings are more important than facts. I need that to die immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, I need us to remember that the reason why we're all so passionate about this issue is because we all care deeply about the country. 
that I mean that we've been making the same mistake as they did with Hillary and, and Trump. The idea that the people on the other side of the argument are actively trying to hurt the country. No, they're doing this because they care about the country and that we have that in common. Um, and I want us to recognize that the core of this problem is inequality. It's the fact that the left has thoroughly failed to recognize that regional inequality is just as important as all the other types of inequality that we usually deal with. I mean, we go on marches, we we campaign about uh, gender inequality, race inequality, but the fact that somebody born in Hull doesn't have the same opportunity as somebody born in London, the left has been too quiet on that. And that's what needs to be fixed. And you do um, like bus tours around the country and obviously you live in Birmingham. What are you, from the people on the ground, because you're actually out there meeting real people and having these conversations, from those people that are not living in London, because obviously we're coming from a very London-centric place where we are very privileged, very lucky to be in this multicultural kind of mixing pot of just everything that goes on here. What um, what are the feelings that you're that you're getting, and, and maybe some of the misconceptions that you're getting when you're talking to, say, an old white guy in Hull or a, or a young Indian guy in Birmingham? Like, what what are the different opinions that you're getting from people? There is one thing and one thing alone unifying the country is that we're all bored to tears of Brexit. That we don't want to be dealing with this thing. And I think the one misconception that I think unites that nobody really is getting at this point is. If we leave with a deal, if we leave without a deal, this idea that we just need to get Brexit done and then we can move on to other stuff, no. If we leave without a deal, if we leave with a deal, we haven't negotiated the long-term trade deal yet, which means that's what we'll be doing for the next seven to ten years, negotiating that, which means there'll be arguments over sovereignty, trade deals, what rules we're going to follow, all that stuff. The same stuff we've been arguing about for the past three years, only now there'll be no way of ending it because we'll have to come to some sort of deal. Now, if we have that situation, it's likely to result in a Brexit deal that most people don't like. And so we're going to end up having those arguments fiercely for the next seven to 10 years. Worse still, what have you seen the government deal with, do with over the, do with the past three years in relation to the NHS, housing, poverty, police, education, universal credit? Nothing. Not a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Because they've been focused on Brexit. 7,000 civil servants currently working on it. They budgeted for 9,000 more in the case of a no-deal Brexit. That's what they'll be doing. Not doctors, nurses or teachers or police. Brexit civil servants to deal with a Brexit that the other civil servants are saying, oh, by the way, any version of Brexit hurts the country. So it is very much bad, good money after bad. And when I speak to people who on the people on the street and I ask them, what would you want the government to be doing over the next seven to 10 years? They will say things like, well, fix the NHS fix universal credit, um, um, build, build more houses. Well, would you want them to do, and regardless of, what they, of which, which way they voted, do you want them to be doing those things or negotiating with Donald Trump? Because they can't do both, clearly, because they've tried. And that's the one thing uniting the country. We all want this done, but people don't really realise that if you want this done, it has to stop. What does November look like for you if we leave in October? Uh, if we leave in October, uh, November for me is oddly quiet. Um, because if we leave from a, the economic arguments, I'll stop making them because by definition, if, if we've left, then my economic arguments have failed to convince people. Um, and so what will have to happen, and I say this with no pleasure at all, 
people will have to learn a very hard lesson. Um, and that won't happen immediately, which means I won't even bother getting involved in the arguments because people will say, oh, day one, still got jobs, be fine. Yeah. Sorry, no. Over time, it is going to be a death by a thousand cuts because, I, I put it this way, Nissan factory, Sunderland, northeast of England, 35,000 jobs depend, depend on that factory. Now, they send 70% of their cars to mainland Europe, to other EU countries. Now, there's no tariffs between us and the rest of the EU. There's no differences in regulation. All the stuff goes through, parts going back and forth all the time, no barriers. Put a barrier there, which a no-deal Brexit would do because it forces the EU to put tariffs on our products. Then that means that 70% of their cars are going to face an extra cost. If that factory was based, for example, in Frankfurt or Paris, then only 30% of those cars would face an extra cost. So if you're Nissan, over time, where are you going to want your factory to be? What happens to the 35,000 jobs in the Northeast? So it's going to be one of those things that people are just going to have to learn the lesson. I, I say this with no pleasure, but that, but there's no point in me. If we've already left, there's nothing I can do at that point. Um, so I won't, I won't be on the, on, the, um, on the economic arguments. What I will be doing is keeping us from moving too far to the right. Because Nigel Farage, to all intents and purposes, would have conquered this country if we leave the EU without a deal. Mm -hmm. um, now, <sighs> what they plan to do is, because, I mean, the logic is simple. I explained it before. If we become the only country on planet Earth that doesn't have a trade deal with anyone within 2,000 miles, that will hurt us. So what they've been doing for the past few months is trying to shift the blame. Blaming the EU. They didn't give us the deal we wanted. Blaming Remainers. They, they ruined the negotiations. Blaming pretty much everyone and everyone but the people who got us in this mess to begin with. Those politicians. And what scares me the most is... I mean, you, you may remember in 2016 uh, any suggestion about how... Or, or any reminder of the fact that the EU was originally a peace project. That it came about after the Second World War to keep countries so economically dependent on each other that they would never go to war with each other. Any suggestion of that as a benefit of the EU, saying, oh, you're gonna be, you think it's going to be World War III if we, if we leave the EU? And the irony is, if we leave the EU without a deal, it's because people haven't fully realised just how much we rely on the EU. And if people haven't realised that, when the obvious negative consequences happen, for example, we buy a third of the food we eat, from, comes from EU countries, uh, lots of medicines. For example, the Euratom program is a, the program by, through which we transport radioactive materials and radioactive materials are necessary for cancer treatments. So when the obvious consequences of Brexit come about, it won't be seen as, well, we've done this to ourselves. It'll be seen as the EU countries are actively trying to punish us. Now, given that we already have people on food banks, given that we already have uh, problems with the NHS, given the sensitivities in Northern Ireland, first person that dies as a result of Brexit won't be seen as we're doing this to ourselves. It'll be seen as an act of aggression by that vindictive, punishing EU. Now, that is a very dangerous road to go down. A very dangerous road to go down. Have you thought about your future in terms of plans? Because obviously now you're, um, you do a lot of crowdfunding and um, you've got like certain places that are supporting you, keeping a roof over your head so you can fight the good fight and do what you're doing. Um, what happens in november for you personally uh well ideally we well the, the law says we stay in the eu so um if we it's unlikely we'll stop brexit by that point um if we if we leave the eu uh, in october and uh, november then i guess I, I stay in the world of politics to try and keep us from moving too far to the right 
we stay in the EU, then realistically that's going to be April, May, um, because there'll be a general election, likely, even though it shouldn't happen, um, because what we need is a referendum. But if that general election then leads to a referendum, then we'll have a referendum around about May. Now, the moment we vote to stay in the EU and stop this whole Brexit mess, as I said, if you want to stop Brexit so we can simply return to status quo, you don't deserve to stop Brexit. So my job at that point will be essentially threatening politicians. I'll be saying people voted for change. If they do not see change, they will be angry and they will turn to far darker places. That's where Tommy Robinson and Nigel Farage come in. So it is your job to make sure that you finally make the country start working for those areas you thought you never needed to care about. So start investing in Hull. Start investing in Swansea, start investing in Newry, start investing in Motherwell, start investing in Redcar, Sunderland, those places that you've forgotten for 40 years. Because if those places um, feel they have nowhere else to turn, they will turn to far darker places. Whereas if we become a country that is more like, for example, Germany, where their industry isn't based primarily in Berlin, it's spread out across the country so that everybody, no matter where they live, has a fair shot at life. If we become more like that, then the anger in the country over the inequality that led people to vote for Brexit in the first place will start to die down. I mean, I've spoken to Brexit voters, one, one member in, in Wolverhampton who told me, if we're all on £1,000 a week, none of us would care. It is the inequality in this country that um, is the problem. So that's what we're fighting. Yeah, absolutely. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Ooh, um Yeah, I'm going to answer this one, honestly. Um, so it's got to be uh, a guy from my church who told me that, because um, I had anger issues growing up, uh, and he told me that I needed to, my anger was a useful tool, but I needed to compartmentalize. I needed to put it in a box and think first before I tapped into it as motivation. Uh, a good way of saying it is emotions in general, should be fuel for the engine, but never anywhere near the steering wheel. So that, and that's what helped me really, really organize my brain, become extremely logical, and it helps me in my arguments as well. Um, because I always just take emotion completely out of the picture and then use emotion to motivate me once I've decided what the right thing is to do. And that's the best advice I've ever got. And you know someone else who does that? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> well, she. What have I learned from her? The the advice I got from there is in the spinoff, uh, Angel. This is actually framed on my wall. Uh, nothing in the world is the way it ought to be. It's harsh and cruel, but that's why there's us. Doesn't matter where we come from, what we've done or suffered, or even if we make a difference. Live as though the world were as it should be to show it what it can be. And that is essentially no matter what happens. It's the fact that you're fighting in the right direction, which is the important thing. They actually have a, a shorter version, which is, um, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah where's to live by? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, dude, that was fascinating. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. Where can uh, people find you online? Uh, so I'm Femi underscore sorry um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, our future our choice is OFOC Brexit, OFOC Brexit, um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, and the most important thing that you can do moving forward is make sure that you are registered to vote because there's an election coming, likely a referendum coming. And if, unless you want Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage to set the future of this country, which is what will happen if you don't turn up to vote, because young people do not want this future that they're painting for us. Uh, you need to make sure you're registered. You have to. Thank Thanks you. so much. <laughs>